friends, welcome back to Inside the Grounds. This is episode three, and right off the bat, we're just going to say we're giving all of you the benefit of the doubt, as the reason we have not gotten those decaf coffee recommendations yet is because we decided to record episodes two and three on the same night. We had too much to talk about, we decided to break it into two. So we will continue our Match Week 1 recap here on episode three. As always, Andrew here with my friend and co-host, Mateo. Hi friends. Uh, yes, I was a little disappointed we didn't receive any insight on decaf, but like Andrew said, we're giving you the benefit of the doubt. We're starting this friendship together. We're starting this journey together. So with due time, I'm sure, you know, just as we are fixing our audio issues, I'm sure your feedback will may also be improved a little bit. Agreed. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, give us a like, give us a comment, subscribe and share this podcast with your friends because we want to grow this circle of friends we have listening and interacting with us on our podcast. Yes. And, you know, Andrew and I have large goals for this pod. Uh, We would love to make this the full time job, want to quit our regular jobs for this. But also, you know, we would love to have friends on this pod, people who love this sport or have questions about this sport. You know, maybe one day we'll do a live show in front of a live audience and all things we hope and dream about. And with your help, we can get there. And if Andrew and I ever had the opportunity to go to a football match because of this pod, we will have a sweepstakes to take someone with us. That we will. Before we get into our match week one continued analysis, we thought it'd be fun to start this episode with a little personal memory from us. And so what we decided to share is a memory from our past and an all start. And I remember mine was at a Utah State Cup final. I believe I may have been 11 or 12. We were in the final match of the tournament and I somehow produced and scored the game-winning goal from a magical free kick. And I remember scoring that goal because if anyone's seen the statue in Brazil where its arms are out wide, I pretty much looked like that with my fists clenched and head of the ball with my eyes closed. And after the, the ball hit your head, I'm sure you clenched all over your body. <laughs> I clenched all over. I didn't even realize what was happening until my friend was screaming that the ball went in the back of the net. Soon after the match, we went to some local restaurant that somehow had karaoke going at two in the afternoon saying, we are the champions by Queen. And I'm sure the owners of that karaoke bar loved that a bunch of 11-year-old boys came in to sing this. I will say for my one of my favorite memories, uh, definitely came from high school. Uh, it was, you know, my high school team, and there's always this postseason tournament where we played uh, some of the other local-ish high schools. Uh, by local, I mean anywhere in the state of Maryland. And there was this one team we played in the opening round robin group stage, and their parents were so excited about their boys beating us. And I'm talking about these parents doing pyramids. They brought pom poms, and we couldn't believe our eyes that a bunch of grown adults were celebrating their high school boys winning a meaningless postseason game. I tell you, they were celebrating. And let me just say, a few of those adults should not have been in the pyramid. Um, or if they were in the pyramid, they probably should have been on the base layer. And they, man, did they just piss us off. So we actually ended up playing that same team in the finals. And our only motivation <laughs> was that stupid pyramid and pom-poms. And so we beat them. We were like, we're, we're not letting them celebrate again. Our parents started imitating the pyramids when we scored just to annoy the other parents 
And while our parents did not actually bring real pom-poms because they are grown adults, they did simulate pom-poms in their hands. And, you know, it was just a great memory watching those parents walk away. I felt bad for the kids because, um, you know, having parents like that is just embarrassing. But just to tell you the maturity level of these adults, we, we got flipped off by those parents. They flipped off us, <laughs> the kids. And, you know, it was a great feeling. Um, we told them, you know, have a good day. Hopefully we'll never see you all again. But it was just, <laughs> I love that memory. All right, well, let's, let's get into these games, right? Part two. We're going to start with Everton versus Chelsea. Chelsea won 1-0. They dominated possession. They had 63%. Had eight shots with four on target. Chelsea had 15 shots with six on target. Look, I'm an Everton fan. I'm a realistic fan. We knew we weren't going to have firepower in this game. Our best forward, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he was injured in the week leading up to this match. He sustained a knee injury that will keep him out six weeks per Frank Lampard. We sold Richarlison in the transfer window. Uh, we had to do it for financial reasons because financial fair play only affects English Premier League teams. It doesn't affect any team from Spain. Looking at you, Barcelona. Um, yes, we heard about how you're not allowed to actually register any of your players. So my only assumption is that you wanted to make sure no other team had star players so that they can't play them, even if you can't, which is a bold move, Cotton. We'll see how this plays out for you. But Everton's entire strategy was just to put as many players between the ball and the goal as possible to make it almost impossible for Chelsea to score. And honestly, Everton almost succeeded. And I thought that was a, honestly, aside from the possession difference and the RUB the shot difference, I thought that Everton did a decent job of holding Chelsea to only 1-0. I thought regardless of Everton trying to put 11 people between the ball and the goal, they still held Chelsea, one of arguably the top teams in the Premier League. I'd hope that that's not how they proceed the season, is to park 11 men behind the ball with every team they play. And I hope to see more attacking football from Everton, especially once they get Calvert-Lewin back. Um, I will say two things. One, for their strategy of parking the bus, they might have to, until they can get DCL back, they might have to use Atletico's strategy with parking the bus and then quick counterattacks. Because... Throughout parts of the game, Everton did try that. They did try to open play, go quickly down to the other side. Um, Chelsea has speed, so they caught up, um, especially in that final third when Everton doesn't have the man up there, the, the pivotal center piece for that offense. It's a little easier to slow them down. So they did try that, and it, it worked a little bit, and they did open up Chelsea a little bit. Passing could be a little better. Maybe they would have had a goal. For Pickford, though, he had a massive boneheaded play. Like, and it was in the ninth minute. Also, this was when I noticed that he has a new sleeve. So he's been busy in the offseason with that tattoo sleeve. Maybe it'll give him a mental edge. Who knows? But in the ninth minute, there was a horrendous pass that was played back to him. He wasn't going to be able to save it properly. And by the time he actually touched the ball, the ball was already out of bounds, but the assistant referee didn't see it. So the ball ended up being played to a Chelsea player, Havertz. That turned into a great opportunity for Chelsea. As Havertz was approaching goal, Pickford approached Havertz, and also Godfrey came in. He slid to stop Havertz. All three players made contact. And then Godfrey was so hurt from the incident that he had to come out of the game. In technically the 18th minute, but he got injured in the 10th. There was eight minutes of injury time. 
there was eight minutes of injury time, and injury time and extra time plagued that game. I think that game ended at uh, something around 110 minutes. Hope you feel better and hope you get well soon, Godfrey. Everton definitely needs all the players they can get right now. We absolutely cannot afford to lose anyone else. Um, this is kind of what happened to Leicester last season when they just kept losing players. But Leicester still had enough talent at the top of their their squad to kind of pull it through. Everton does not. So Everton really can't afford to miss anyone. I will say their new signing, Tarkowski, made a large impact in this game. He had some nice headers, and his presence on the field was definitely felt. And speaking of new players... Raheem Sterling, he was the center point of his team. Everything, and I mean everything, ran through him. They even did short corners with him. So their game plan was very clear. Get Raheem Sterling as many touches as possible. And I get it. He's quick. He's fast. He's a good, really good player. He is a very, he's a player who tends to hit the ground a lot because he's not a large player. He's not a large individual. He's not physically intimidating. And so he makes sure everyone knows it. So whenever there's a little bit of contact, whenever someone whispers the word contact or foul, Sterling may or may not be on, on the pitch and then looking at the referee. Agreed. Definitely agreed on that point. He was, even in Man City, he was a person who would kind of go down very easily, always looking for a penalty or a foul. I think it was interesting to watch Chelsea play him as such a focal point player when he's typically, from what I've seen at Man City, played out on the wing. So it'll be interesting to watch how they progress forward in future games with this current lineup. There, there are three players I, would, I want to ask you about, all from the Chelsea side. The first one, Mason Mount. He was relatively quiet this game. Right, We know everything went through Sterling. Mount, I didn't feel was very involved in this game. Do you, What do you think about this? Do you agree with me? And do you think that Mount is worth the hype? Is he worth the hype? I would say... He is a great player. That's that is no doubt. I think that he has his moments where he shines, but I think that as a, on a whole, he definitely could improve quite a bit. He is still young, um, but I think that he can definitely improve leaps and bounds. I do agree with you as well. He was pretty quiet this game, whereas in other games we have seen Chelsea play, he can often get on the score sheet. Everton's. 11 men behind the ball definitely kept a lot of their stars and goal scorers quiet this game, especially Mount, even someone like Havertz who can score, even Pulisic can also score. Everton did a good job of keeping those players quiet. And my, the next player I wanted to ask you about is the man who came in for Mason Mount, Pulisic. I, I think Pulisic is, is, a, is a very good player. You and I have talked before about him and how I personally think think he should have played elsewhere. There, In the transfer window, there were many rumors linking him to many other teams, including Juventus. I think he would do so well over there. I don't, I'm not saying he's a great player. He's not world-class, but he's very, very good. He In this lineup in Chelsea, he deserves a starting spot. And I thought Mount, who didn't really do much of anything this game, replacing him with Pulisic made a lot of sense. Agreed. And Pulisic is a fantastic player. I have been a big fan of him since he came from Dortmund as a young player. He is an interesting part to Tuchel's lineup, but I think he definitely deserves more of a starting role because if we've when we have watched games, I know if we we have texted about this in the past and I have commented on anytime Pulisic comes in, the commentators 
I feel like they always say, oh, he was a focal change for them. He brought life into the game. He was the person who started the passage of play that got them a goal, or he was the person who made the difference in the game that they're playing. I think that he deserves more from Chelsea, but I agree with you that he could definitely go elsewhere and shine very bright. I think Juventus would be a very fabulous place for him to play. If he stays at Chelsea, I think he will do well. And I think that he, as, I mean, as he's a true professional, he will keep doing his best. And I think that if he gets into the starting lineup, he will not lose that spot very easily. I completely agree with you. Um, I th- think he can provide just as much production as Mason Mount right now. Honestly, it might even put a fire under Mason Mount's butt. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just need to know that your starting position is not secured. And maybe, maybe Pulisic could be that. Agreed. But I also, I personally would think that Pulisic can do more right right at this moment after watching Mason Mount's performance. I think that Pulisic can do more and be more for this Chelsea side. But again, like I said, I don't think that a sterling focal point for this team is going to win them games. I think that they need to figure something different out or change the lineup altogether because they should be scoring more, should have scored more in this game. Um, but I think because they were trying to use Sterling so much, it didn't really help with the final score line and really get them the goals they needed. I mean, Sterling almost had his first goal for Chelsea in the 43rd minute. Um, he was in the right place at the right time. There's a deflection coming off of Pickford. But we learned the reason he was in the right place at the right time is because he was offside. So it doesn't count. But, you know, yes. it's players like that who were always on that line of offsides that end up scoring a lot because if on those times that they are on it's going to be a goal they're one-on-one with the keeper every single time another player i was thinking about a lot in this game was Havertz. Havertz, mount and pulisic for me are kind of interchangeable they all play very similar positions i don't think one is necessarily that far above the other two they kind of get subbed in for each other um and i wasn't that impressed with Havertz. He was a little more involved than Mount, I felt. Quick touches, not a lot of long dribbles. But honestly, besides Sterling, not this team isn't designed to have a bunch of players touch the ball many times consecutively. They're meant for more passing and being very opportunistic. Agreed. And honestly, Kai Havertz is one person I actually enjoy watching play this sport he is a i think he's a fantastic player for the for this game specifically i mean he had three shots one on target that was more than a lot of other people had on the field i mean sterling had three shots yes he had an offside goal but outside that offside goal sterling didn't even put shots on target i think that as you said havertz mount pulisic they're kind of all interchangeable they can all go on the wing i think that we need to see more passing through this team as you said as well once they kind of find that fluidity once they realize that they have the skill and the team to really play through the midfield play up from the back and maybe that maybe that is Tuchel's strategy right like he's known much more for his defensive mind I think last year Lukaku may have been used as a scapegoat for this team as far as not producing goals but he still had the third most goals on this team sorry he was tied for second with eight Mount had 11 led the team that's still kind of an embarrassingly low number and to lead a team. So I think this season will be a little interesting. We'll see how Tuchel feels about Mountain Havertz essentially leading this team. I know tech, I know Sterling's going to be like the real leader, especially on the field. But Mountain and Havertz are kind of like tied together in a way. Like 
their du dual package, um, mostly because of their age and things like that. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm hoping for big things for Pulisic. I think he can do it. I think he's just as capable as Mount or Havertz. But we'll kind of see what happens. Agreed. And one thing that Tuchel was quoted in saying after the game is that all he said was a win's a win. And that's what's important. And honestly, that's fair. And especially in front of the media, you don't have to criticize every single one of your players. Um, you got the win. It was the first week of the season. There's no need to overreact. And I think that was a honestly a very respectable answer. And last season, I, I believe we said Chelsea had the third most goals in the, in the league. I believe that was our statistic that we said. They did, yep. They had 76, third most. Right, and the two teams above Chelsea put up astronomical numbers that we've never seen. <laughs> so you always have to take that into context. They still did really well as far as scoring. They just didn't keep up with the likes of a Liverpool and a Man City. But honestly, they, they were a little bit more realistic in the number of goals that they scored. Agreed. And, if, and like you said, the Mount led the team with eight goals, which means that even they scored their 76, but they had them all pretty much spread around the team, which is not... Not terrible, but it does kind of show that Chelsea could do with a real out-and-out -out striker that can produce goals for them on a consistent basis. All right, on to the next match. Leicester City versus Brentford. The game was a tie, 2-2. Leicester barely had more possession at about 55%. As far as shots, Leicester had 14, with five of them being on target. Brentford had eight shots, three of them were on target. Brentford give them some credit, right? They came back, they were down two goals, and they did not give up. And it never really felt like they were out of this game. And for Leicester, some of their issues from last year, still existent, very evident. Not being able to hold on leads, onto leads, and they don't have much of a defense. And let's, let's be honest, if once you go 2-0 down, it's a lot of teams will kind of lose that spirit. They'll lose the fight. But Brentford didn't. They kept attacking they kept going after Leicester even though they were two goals down and they may have only had three shots on target the entire game but two of those went in the goal and that's in the end that's what matters they brought it back got a point and I would say after going two down that's a pretty good result considering how much Leicester was bombarding their goal the entire game have you ever heard um we had a coach growing up who told us that a 2-0 lead was the most dangerous lead in football I've heard that. Yeah, which it makes sense. 2-0 is enough for your team to have this false sense of confidence that everything's going great and your team is going to win the match. However, as soon as the opposition scores one, it's 2-1. to one, Your lead got cut in half and you start panicking a little bit and the other team gets all of that momentum with them. But I do want to ask you a question. So obviously the defense gave up two goals, but they gave it up in the second half for Leicester. Their offense scored Two goals, but they only scored in the first half. Do you believe the offense has any blame for this loss or for this tie? I would say yes, because you you score in the 33rd and the 46th minute, and then you are absent for basically the rest of the game. You may have had some opportunities, but given what they had for shots on goal, total shots, they should have finished at least one to two more. Vardy should have definitely gotten a, another a goal in general, but... He seemed like he was a little bit absent as far as the goal scoring goes. I would say that the offensive line of Leicester definitely have blame that they need to kind of shoulder in this 2-2 uh, tie. And I agree with that. Um, I know we can give the offense praise because they, they scored two goals, which will win you a lot of football matches. However, doing so essentially in the first half and 
not scoring for another 45 minutes. Your offense can do more than just score goals, right? It can also it keeps possession, which means the other team can't score if they don't have the ball. So clearly Leicester was having an issue with that. And, you know, if this was reversed, if Leicester had gone down 2 nothing in the first half and then scored two, we wouldn't be blaming the defense anymore, right? Even though they already let up two goals. Like, they were the reason Leicester was in the hole in that hypothetical situation. So I think these are just kind of some things for us to, you know, keep in mind as we go through. And the season for Leicester, we'll see where they finish at the end of the season. If they keep up a defensive performance like this, they are most certainly not going to make it back to Europa. And on to our next game, Manchester United versus Brighton. I can see the look of disappointment on your face. Brighton won this match 2-1. to one. I don't know if you know this, but this is Brighton's first ever win at Old Trafford. So there's a little fun fact for our friends. United dominated possession at 63%. There was a lot of shots fired in this game. United had 17 shots with 5 on target. Brighton had 15 shots with 4 on target. And... I just want to say very quickly for all our friends who are wondering about other stats such as passes and touches, we try not to focus on those because those really don't mean that much. You'll have teams such as Barcelona, especially in Pep's era, where they have a thousand touches and passes a game. But just because you have five passes doesn't mean they were quality passes, doesn't mean they were impressive passes. They were just passes. So for any of you wondering why the only statistics we talk about are possession and shots is because those are a little easier to interpret and evaluate on a game-to-game basis. This game, I have so many questions for you as a fan. Um, so the first question, Ronaldo started on the bench, but he, they started Erickson. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, as far as from just the standpoint of, if we look at preseason, Ronaldo wasn't involved quite a bit. He was away dealing with potential family issues, Honestly, whatever issues doesn't necessarily matter. He was away for most of the preseason, came back for the friendly um, against Rayo. Um, so I can understand him not starting because maybe his fitness isn't where it should be, which we all know that probably isn't true. We know, all seen it on social media, Ronaldo is always working out, always putting his fitness above kind of anything. If Ronaldo is considered not fit, what is the rest of the world? Exactly. And so... Another thought on that is that because Ronaldo missed so much of the preseason is that if if Eric Ten Hag started him, it could I don't know, it could look back to the players who were there for full preseason, who were giving the time, putting in the hours, really putting their name in front of the manager for the first game of the, the English Premier League season. Do I think that starting him, that putting him on the bench to start was a bad idea? Not necessarily. Bringing him on definitely brought more opportunities in front of goal. Him and Rashford were linking up pretty well. They just couldn't find the back of the net. Yeah, I thought it was definitely an interesting move. Um, I think the real issue with starting Ronaldo on the bench is obviously the drama that will rise from this. Um, Ronaldo's, Ronaldo's name just carries a lot of weight to it. There's obvious, obviously a lot of rumors over in the transfer window linking Ronaldo to other clubs. I think at one point it was like six or seven legitimate top tier clubs. Um, And a lot of them said, no, we are not interested. Um, Honestly, I thought the transfer transfer rumors with him really became ridiculous. These clubs had to put public, put out public statements saying they're not interested and that they've never even discussed the possibility of bringing him on. Um, 
which is not necessarily a diss toward Ronaldo, but a lot of these teams just they feel like his skill set may not fit what the team needs. Um, I know being a Byron fan, we were linked to him, and um, our president CEO was like, no, 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 we are not signing him. We don't believe he fits our culture. Now, maybe the way he worded that may have been a dig at Ronaldo, but also he was German, so maybe he was just a little more blunt about things. <laughs> you know, so we got to keep that in mind. Um, but, you know, Ronaldo eventually did come on. I thought it was more interesting starting Ericsson. Um, you know, he's obviously been away from football for a little... He had to go away from football for a little bit. We're not quite sure if he's at top-tier Premier League level yet. Um, so that that part stunned me a little bit more than benching Ronaldo. I definitely would agree that starting him, especially where they started him, is it was an interesting choice when they have players who can play that kind of a front striker. I mean, they have people in the realm of... Alejandro Garnacho, Anthony Langa both can play wings and Rashford can play that up front man. But I will say that watching the game, Christian Eriksen, even though he was started as that kind of focal point in the 4-3-3, came back and made more defensive plays than even some of our midfield did, which kind of just blows your mind a little bit. And which one thing I will, I won't harp on it a lot. I'm just going to say it right now is the Fred McTominay thing in the midfield does not work for us. It hasn't worked for the last three years and it needs to stop. United need to sign players in the midfield that can actually play the roles and really dominate possession, move the ball around. Those two just don't have what it takes to play at the Man United level that people want to have return. Yes, but but this time you have a new coach, so he has to try it too. And I feel like that's what happens at United. They bring in a new coach. He has to try the exact same thing as the previous coach. Doesn't work out. He gets fired. Next coach comes in. Cycle repeat. And it has that cycle repeat has pretty much happened for the last seven years basically since Fergie left it's been that same kind of not performing get fired not performing get fired and it's basically again just new season same problems honestly a really night kind of a nightmare start for Eric Den Hag my only hope is that this bad start doesn't immediately start throwing up red flags within ownership management whatever to just get him out because he, we know that he can produce top players. We know that he can put together a team that works very well together. We saw him do that at Ajax. We've seen the players that he coached. We've seen the people that he made incredible and the likes of De Jong, Anthony, any of those youngsters from that Ajax team that made the Champions League run. I think that they need to bring in new signings. I think that they need to bring in more signings and that then he can kind of start to really create what he wants. I think that they can also stop playing the same lineup they've been playing for the last two, three years. And we might see some change. I agree with that. Um, You definitely need, you don't need a whole new squad, but I feel that United does need to change things up and then actually give the new manager a chance to one, bring in players that he actually wants and two, Give the manager more than a season. United has this expectation where it's top of the Premier League table and Champions League or bust. And that's history, honestly. That was, that's a long time ago. United needs to be a little more realistic in the goals. And when you have a player like Ronaldo who carries this much weight, whenever anything goes wrong or isn't perfect, so much drama comes along with it. Eric Ten Hag... He unfortunately, when he was hired, Ronaldo was already here. He can't do much about it. Um, 
92% sure that if Eric Ten Hag had the opportunity to sign Ronaldo or not, he would say no. And just because he wants to put in his own system and implement his style of play. So with his style of play, they didn't look too good, honestly. Brighton, you know, they went up two goals in the first half. Uh, United, they didn't look like they cared. The passion wasn't there. Brighton had some great plays. They had great buildup. They were obviously very well prepared for this match. And in the second half, here comes Ronaldo in the 52nd minute. And then in the 54th minute, there was definitely a penalty that should have been called for Brighton. I don't know if you saw that, but that was should have been a penalty kick. Brighton should have been up 3-0 at that point. This score could have been way worse than what it actually was. The ref was letting things go. And I was a little worried about that because you know how these professional athletes and their big old egos can't always handle that. Erickson had a terrible free kick in the 56th minute. It was absolutely horrendous. And actually, it was so bad when Brighton got the ball, immediately went on the counterattack. Like, Erickson couldn't even lift the ball into the box. It, it was kind of embarrassing. But there was a spot of hope for all you United fans. In the 59th minute, Ronaldo gave a masterful pass across the box to Rashford. All he had to do was tap it in. What did he do? He tapped it into the goalie. And now I will give the goalie credit. He made himself huge. He made a giant wall that Rad Rashford could not get around. Now, with that being said, apparently Ronaldo was also called for offsides on this play, but on the replay, it was very clear that he was onside. I don't know how that's the one that the referee thought was off. So I, I believe VAR would have overturned that because by the time the whistle had blown, Rashford had already shot the ball, so it would have counted. So Rashford royally screwed up that one. Agreed. And honestly, just what you had said, the Bright Brighton came prepared. And I, I will touch on one thing that I heard a pundit say today, and I thought actually thought of watching the game. No one fears Man United anymore. No one, no one sees them on the, the sheet for the game day and thinks, oh shit, it's Manchester United. We know what they're going to do. We we know they're going to bring aggressive play to the game. They, we know that they are going to come at us right from the get-go. They don't. Manchester United does not do that anymore. So teams like Brighton, like basically anyone in the Premier League, can pretty much play Man United with hope and with the know that they can absolutely beat them. I absolutely agree with that. And I'd, I would take it one step further. It's not just that teams see United and are no longer scared. Teams aren't even scared to come into Old Trafford anymore. You know, in the prime of United, playing at Old Trafford, that was a hostile environment. Those fans always find the team, those fans did not shut up for 90 plus minutes. And now it's just, you know, it's just another regular match day. No one, no one's really worried about anything. Um, but, you know, you all did, you scored a goal in the 67th minute. And we, there was, yes, there was an own goal. <laughs> well, technically, but... Debatable. But here's the thing. You got it because of the pressure that you placed upon Brighton. It was a corner kick. The ball was bouncing around. Sanchez, Brighton's goalie, thought he was interfered with too much. He was just trying to complain. Every, everything was legal. He completely missed the punch. He missed the ball entirely. Uh, the ball was deflected off 
onto the United player. And Sanchez tried to swipe the ball away from the goal. But in doing so, Sanchez actually really just hit his own defender, McAllister, and the ball went into the goal. Um, I think it's unfair that on the stat sheet it says McAllister on goal. I really think it should say Sanchez because that was entirely Sanchez's fault. Agreed. And if in that replay of the whole buildup to when the ball went in the net, he was complaining about uh, Jake Dallo impeding him. But if you watch the replay, Sanchez is actually making contact and almost like impeding Dallo himself. But because he missed the ball and the ball went in the goal, he's obviously going to try to complain to the referee as much as he can because he's he's a goalkeeper and they get they do get their special protection. But there was nothing wrong with that. He just made a complete mess of it and after that goal i will say you could you could feel the environment and the air change a little bit there's a little bit of hope and united really started putting that pressure on brighton finally made a sub in the 74th minute i I thought it took a really long time for them to make a substitution just because of the amount of pressure that united was putting on them um i would have thought that their manager would make a sub just even a few minutes earlier i'm sure you know, once the goal was scored and all of a sudden the guys who are warming up, are they ready yet? Are they not? Um, but it was a good substitution. It was, it was a good call. He definitely needed some new fresh legs into the game. And, you know, it, it did work out at the end. United kind of had a couple opportunities, nothing great afterwards. And so hopefully for, for you and for United, they will be better prepared for their next game. And as the course of the season plays out, hopefully the team can kind of gel together and form one cohesive unit. Agreed. And that's all we can hope for. And I'll touch on one thing really quickly so we can get hop into the fun game. You made a comment about Brighton making a first sub in 74 minutes. Now, Ronaldo came on roughly somewhere in the 53rd. You're right. The next sub for Manchester United did not come until the... Roughly 78th minute. There's about 12 minutes left in the game. The next subs came at 90. They replaced three players at 90 minutes. For what purpose losing. that serves, I have no idea. They need to sort that out because bringing three players on who can actually make a difference in the likes of Alanga and Garnacho, they're both fast, young playmakers. They are good. You do not bring those guys on in the 90th minute when you're down one goal on the first game of the season. Fully agree. So let's get on to the brand new shiny transfer, Holland. West Ham played Man City. Man City won 2 to nothing as far as possession goes. Man City did what Man City does, what all of Pep's teams have always done. They're, they dominated possession. They had 75% of the possession. West Ham United only had 25%. The thing that was very surprising for me about Man City was their shots on target. They had 14 shots, and only two of them were on target. Now, did they get two goals? Yes, but keep in mind, one of the two goals was a penalty kick. West Ham had six shots on target, or sorry, they had six shots overall and one shot on target. And when I had mentioned earlier about us not looking at stats such as touches or passes, Pep's teams. Man City had 967 touches and 833 passes. Stats like that don't tell us a lot about the game. The possession stat means a lot more um, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about this game. First thing I would like to say is, Man City have never lost a match on that pitch. Fun fact. That That is actually a fun fact that I did not know. But you're absolutely right. When it comes to the game itself, 
I think the possession percentage matters a lot more because you can have a million touches and not do a whole lot. And honestly, I think with how much possession Man City had, they should have definitely registered more than just two shots on target, especially more than even 14 shots total. They are a powerhouse of a team with players like Holland, like Kevin De Bruyne, who can absolutely shoot from distance close up they should be registering more than that they should be doing a little bit better offensively as far as i'm concerned did they still get a win absolutely i will say it felt like this team definitely was looking for that last through ball in the box and to try to you know get a much easier shot and a lot of their shots like you just said they like to shoot from outside so if if those things miss they get deflected whatever it may be it's not going to be on target I want. I need. I need to. I need to talk about Holland. This man. He perfectly fit into Pep's team. I will say. I think Pep changed his scheme a little bit because of him, and now they have this looming presence in the in the middle, up top. But Holland, he was constantly moving the entire game. He did not sit still. He looked like someone who, like, if he tried to stand still, he would combust. Like he had so much energy with him. He was always making runs. He didn't always get the ball, but he's doing what every good striker should do. Every striker needs to be willing to make 100 runs to only get the ball three times. And in those three times, you put the ball away into the back of the net. And he was willing to put in that work. And this team clearly wanted to utilize him. Agreed. And I think I think you are right in saying that Pep definitely changed up the team a little bit to incorporate him in the role that he played in today. Um, But I definitely think that he fits in very well with Man City, with what Pep is doing. I think that he is going to arguably be one of the best signings of any team has made this summer. And I know that I said that he may not win the Golden Boot, but he's two goals in now and off to a, a great start. I will say one thing that surprised me is that he... Took the penalty. Newcomer, first game in the Premier League with people like Gundogan, like De Bruyne, even arguably Jack Grealish, who has taken penalties for England before and for Aston Villa. All great penalty takers. But Holland stepped up and ice cold hammered that into the back of the net. Ice in his veins with that. Talking about fundamentals, that penalty kick was perfect. You literally couldn't have done it any better. No stutter steps. You know how I hate the stutter steps. No stutter steps on that lead up. He just took his his steps, ran up to the ball, and placed it where he wanted to. And here's what everyone thinks. When, when a player does a stutter step, a goalie's going to guess. Well, when you run up as fast as Holland did, that goalie has to guess even sooner. So when you put place on, on the ball like that, it's going to go in the back of the net. I think that the reason Holland took the penalty was because he was the one that was fouled. Which, can we talk about that lead-up, by the way? The through ball that he was given, perfectly weighted, perfectly timed. Holland saw the ball, turned his back, took three steps to make the run, checked over his shoulder to make sure the ball was being played. It was. Perfectly put in front of Holland. What... The West Ham goalie came out. He's a substitute, don't forget. And, you know, the substitute goalie, caused he caused the foul. He caused the contact. But it's because Holland had the intelligence to just poke the ball a little bit past the goalie on the outside of the goalie 
to force that contact. And it was very well done, very smart play. That build up, that through ball, you can tell they've been practicing this for months. Agreed. I, You could not imagine a more silky pass from, I believe it was Gundogan who played that. Just as you said, he took three steps, looked back over his shoulder, and he knew exactly where he was going and what he had to do. And yes, bad judgment from Areola to come out and really try to challenge Holland on that. Is it an unlucky penalty to give away? Yes, because he could have wholeheartedly just kind of pulled off slightly. And you know what? Maybe Holland doesn't score there. Maybe he sends it wide, misses, puts it back across. But you cannot take anything away from that Man City build-up play because they are the best at building up and putting in those opportunities. Yes, and an example of these balls that the midfield of City can play in the 65th minute. There is a beautiful, stunning through ball from De Bruyne to Holland. De Bruyne was at half field when he placed the ball onto the top of the 18 for Holland. Holland made such a far run without the ball, which is what we teach good strikers to do. De Bruyne perfectly weighted the ball, met Holland at the top of the 18. Holland was one-on-one with the goalie, and you know that ball is going to reach the back of the net. It's it's what Holland does, but that ball, literally from half field, was gorgeous. Literally half field. We And we know we've seen him do it in the, the Bundesliga. We know that when Holland gets a ball like that, he will not miss. When he gets a ball that perfectly threaded right into his, it, literally right to his instep, he didn't even take a touch. He The ball that De Bruyne played was so perfectly weighted that all he had to do was adjust his body. Easy one touch into the goal. A lot of other strikers may miss that, but we know from watch that he will make that every time. And, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to, to Graylish. He, we talked about this after the Man City-Liverpool match. He loves to slow the game down a little bit, look at the defender and try to beat the first man. But he is playing into Pep's system as well, passing the ball around. I mean, last season was, what, his first season with Pep? So it, it takes a little bit of, yep. of time. Like, Graylish came from a team where he he was the focal point. City, last season, did not have the focal point. Everyone was a point. And so, you know, it takes a little bit of time just to kind of get used to that system coming in. So Graylish fit in well. Also, Phil Foden, who we brought up last time. Wanted to see more of him. He started, and I thought he did really well. Controlled the ball, didn't make, didn't take too many chances, which is a one of the staples of Pep's teams. They don't take a lot of chances. They pass the way they're facing. They do a lot of quick passes. They try to, they play a lot of tr- within triangles everywhere. So there's always two teammates near you. The only time they really take chances is when they're trying to play that last through ball. And by that point, they're usually already at the 18. But I thought overall this team did so well. Like, I don't know if we could compliment them enough, honestly. Um, To your point about Holland being the best signing of this transfer window, he may be the best signing in years. Because I can't think of the last time someone who was about, who he may have not even entered his prime yet. He is so young. And so... This may, if he can stay at City for five, six years, you know, who knows how many goals he's going to have for this team. Agreed. I mean, he's he is only 22 years old. 
And I don't think I don't think him staying at City long term is out of the question by any means, especially if they have Pep, especially if they, if they have the team that they do. They are going to keep title contending. They are going to keep having Champions League runs. They are not going to be short of good football for him to play. And City basically picked up right where they left off last season. Train's still rolling. They are still in tip-top shape. Yes, they may have lost that Community Shield game to Liverpool 3-1, but does that really matter in this grand scheme of things? No. doesn't have anything to do with the Premier League season. doesn't have anything to do with Champions League. And I think that the lineup that Pep put out against West Ham, yes, they again, we talked about it before. They only won 2-0. They could have done a little bit better with their opportunities, but I think he chose a solid, solid lineup especially with his back four. I mean, West Ham had six opportunities and only one on goal. Their defense and their team overall played phenomenally well. I will say the way that City used their defenders in this game was a bit irregular. They pushed them up almost to be center defensive mids. And so that did cause a lot of space on the outside that West Ham just couldn't take advantage of. But you try something like that against Liverpool with their wingers or even Tottenham. They will take full advantage of that. And in this game, it worked out because it essentially gave Man City an extra two midfielders. And that's, you know, they're going to excel with that kind of an advantage, especially against a team like West Ham, who doesn't necessarily have the best offense. They're not going to they're not the fastest team in the world. And so they can't really take advantage of those defenders missing from the outside. Definitely agree with you there. When they come up against teams who have a very solid wing performer, and solid wing play like the Liverpool, like we, we talked about that earlier, how they like to get it up to the wings. I think that if Man City does keep that kind of defensive strategy going, they might falter a little bit, and then teams will be able to get behind them and kind of cause a little bit more chaos and create opportunities to score on Man City. Now, that being said, again, they still have some of the best defenders in the world, so they do very well at micro-adjustments on the fly when it comes to teams pressing up high up on the wings like some of those other top teams will do. Did you see um, Holland's post-game interview by any chance? I did read, I, I read a bit of the post-game interview. Um, did, did you hear about him by cursing? By all means. I did not hear about him cursing. He used Please a bad tell the story. So. Oh no. The, he was saying, the interviewer asked him something and he said the word shit. And the interviewer actually said, Please watch your language. His response, well, like he looked a little bit embarrassed and said shit again by accident. And he goes, oh, right, I guess this is a different league now. <laughs> so I guess that means in the, in the Bundesliga, you can curse a little bit more. But you know what? You know what I took offense to? The network that aired that. Because they easily could have bleeped that out. There is a delay between it airing and it and that clip reaching the viewers' ears, they multiple people apologized for Holland saying this word. Why did the network not just bleep it out if they were so concerned about it? That is a great question. And honestly, a lot of those networks have like intelligent technology that can very much on the fly beep out a word as soon as it like comes through their system. Because there's going to be, regardless if it was a couple minutes before it aired there is still a delay between like they could have done something about it but you know what i say fuck it let him say shit all he wants yeah he um it, it, was, it was i thought it was really funny again everything has been on a delayed 
timer ever since the Janet Jackson Super Bowl halftime show. So I don't understand why they can't use the same technology. Was it, and that was ages ago when that happened, and we have progressed so far along in technology. Get it together, broadcasters. One quick fact I'll throw in regarding Holland is that he has scored every single season opener for his side for the last three seasons. That's not he as impressive the season as Mo Salah. Okay, well, we're not talking about Mo Salah and his six. left foot of magic right now. It's six. Mo Salah has six consecutive home opener goals. Well, Holland will eclipse that with Man City, I assure you. In five years. <laughs> In five years. Because, again, he won't go anywhere. He's going to be playing good football here. At this point, the only move he makes is because someone offers him an exorbitant amount of money and look how much City ended up actually signing him for. It's clear that money's not a thing in, that's really on his radar. He, he likes to play the sport. That's true. You want to you wanna sign us off? Did I, say, did I yeah. say next week? Why don't you just write it down? Mark. I did say it wrong. All right. One more time. As always, friends, thank you very much for joining us on today's part two episode of Inside the Grounds. Please head over to our Instagram, drop a follow, drop a like. You can find that at Inside the Grounds Podcast. And catch us on our next episode where we preview the games for Match Week 3. Match Week 2. Match Week 2. Friends, friends, <laughs> we're just starting this. Um, we will get these these outros perfectly handled by like week 6 of the season. Thank you once again for joining and we'll see you in a few days.